the last verse of the last chapter of the first book of the New Testament. So if you are ready, I'll just read um, a little bit of context here, beginning with verse 16. <clears throat> now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's verse 20. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Thus far, I'm reading in God's most holy and inerrant and inspired word. All flesh is as grass, its beauty is as the flower of the field, the grass withers, its flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. And it's the word of God that was just read to you by God's help it will be preached. Please be seated. All authority in heaven and earth, there exists no authority that is not under the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> Some that have authority do not give God the glory and the tribute, because as Jesus even told Pilate, you would have nothing to say over me. You would have no authority over me at all, except it be given you from above. That, those words really got to Pilate. Someone higher, someone above his station, to which he will be accountable on the last day. But we live in an age, my friends, and I think we live in a country that is under continual um, challenge. We, we, we are challenged today to identify rightful authority. Uh, yes, I mean, there are still offices, and we need to respect the placement of men in those offices. Because God is a God of order, and he is sovereign. He has not relinquished his control over all things, but his providence works in all ways. And it is mysterious. It, it very often crosses us. And that's why we tend to fall into the trial, the temptation of not respecting authority. Because by God's providence, the people that he's placed in office sometimes do not know him, do not acknowledge his person, and seem to work against God's own purposes. They themselves, those that are given authority in the present age, oftentimes appear to cross God's purposes. And yet in doing so, they certainly do work out his secret will. Now that's a mystery with the mystery of providence. We don't uh, talk about that much, but let's talk about what we do know. We do know that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And in our text, we see that Jesus has given authority to some. Specifically, the task of building his kingdom on earth to his disciples. And the action with these men uh, that uh, uh, are now dubbed apostles is that they are called by the Lord onto that 
special training and special office. And after a period of preparation, they are sent. The calling and the sending in a particular capacity is not with respect to the person. The person is every disciple, even the purest heart of them, the beloved friend of the Lord Jesus, John, admits to have sin. If we say we have no sin in us, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. It's not because one is better than the other, but it's because of God's most inscrutable will. His ways are past finding out that he chose these 11 to abide with him until the end. He has prayed for these. He has equipped these. <coughs> and he has called them as disciples. He's commissioned them on two other journeys within the, the Holy Land there in Judea. And now he's commissioning them to go out into all the worlds. He is vesting them with authority. Now we are most wise to see that these men were sanctified, even as Paul might mention, from the womb, Saul of Tarsus was sanctified, was set apart in God's providential plan in giving him instruction and all manner of good teachers, every occasion for learning, circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to a Pharisee blameless externally, all that, all those advantages. But God works his purposes and it's not to exalt these men, but he will commission them in their office as apostles, called and sent. And they have been given the authority and vested the authority and have no less authority when they are, by God's help, truly understanding and uh, truly promulgating his word. With his help, they have no less authority than the one that sent them. They are ambassadors. And if you cross the ambassador, you slight the kingdom that sent the ambassador. And we need to understand this because we are plagued in this world with so many so-called authorities and so many wicked people. And some of the authorities are certainly against the Lord and against his Christ. Certainly, we see that it's always been the case. And yet there's authority on earth, earth in the civil realm, and there's authority in the church. And the church is not merely a volunteer collective of people coming together. Some of these believers are placed in office. And it's not for their person that we respect them. It's for their office because they are fully vested with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and his authority in that and his capacity as the mediator and head of the church is absolute. Now the reason I'm preaching this is, is primarily to encourage ministers. Now that may seem strange, but other people listen. They may listen to a tape se session and ministers today need more encouragement than you. I, I've, never seen, I've never seen such fallout. I've never seen such dark times I'm, I'm speaking to my own judgment here. The days are, are evil and have been evil, but these, these days are especially evil. And the church is being assaulted by many, many directions. And Satan knows the best way to do it is to strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. 
I, I, I mean, that's, a, that's a, a basic strategy. We should know this. And so we need to hold up, we need to encourage one another, as we are commanded to, both in the law and the gospel. It's a gospel commandment to encourage one another. But especially those who are in the front line. And the second thing, the second reason I mentioned this, this teaching today is it's a good way to close out the Gospel of Matthew. Because many, many of the themes of Matthew are here replicated for us. But also, the session is approved. Uh, the next book for the morning worship service is the book of Galatians. And the first thing that the Apostle Paul needs to establish to that group, the very confused group, those churches of Asia Minor that are now in the district and region of Galatia, those churches have now at least partially apostatized. At least, from what I can gather of Paul's teaching. And the first thing he says, and he doesn't simply remind him of the gospel just now, he does, he does eventually clarify the gospel, and he's going there mightily because the gospel needs to be rescued from those who pervert the gospel. But the first thing he says is you need to understand that I, Paul, am an apostle. We need to understand what this means. We, under, we, need, we need to understand that Jesus is a king, and we have not made him Lord and King. He is what he is. And he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he rules absolutely, and he rules in his church by his word and spirit, and he has vested certain officers. And we do slight his name and his government as rebels when we cast dispersion on his rule and his church. The teaching here is very simple, and I mean it to be an, an encouragement for all who are officers, also all who seek to be ministers, especially ministers. The teaching is this, that Jesus greatly encourages his gospel ministers to and he, he greatly encourages his gospel ministers in sending them out in his worldwide ministry, the ministry of the church, which is a missionary enterprise. The church, you've got to, you've got to settle it in your mind. This church is a mission church, not according to the PCO, the Book of Church Order and the PCA, but according to Christ, all churches are mission churches. They're part of the missionary enterprise. Jesus greatly encourages his gospel ministers and sending them out in his worldwide missionary enterprise with a special promise. This is a peculiar promise. It finds peculiar application to the ministers and, of course, everyone under their ministry. But first to ministers, and we need to examine this. We need to understand what this is. But he encourages them with this promise, saying, Behold, I am with you always, with his ministers, especially. And with the church always, he is Emmanuel to the church, but especially to his ministers. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what he says. That's the teaching. Let me go through this. And I'll have to say, if you, if you see that this is a strange layout and a, a lot of strange words are being used, I have adopted this sermon uh, from uh, uh, Thomas Boston. I can cite the reference and all that. It's so good, I couldn't outperform him. So these are his considerations on this passage. Matthew 20, verse uh, 20 in the... Part B. 
let's first examine the, the, the parties to whom this encouragement belongs. Most directly to his disciples now being sent out as apostles. And it applies also to those in succession as ordinary, in ordinary succession, that is to say, the ordinary ministers succeeding them in the work of ministry. We have to keep that in mind. Uh, teachers are especially warned by application that they will face a more strict judgment. Not everyone will have the same judgment. The moral law is one, but some will be judged more strictly. And apostles and prophets, evangelists, teachers and pastors will be judged more strictly. And so this is a promise that applies not just strictly, but more immediately to his apostles and then the ordinary ministers succeeding him. The promise is an encouragement. All promises are to be held by faith, and if we receive them, they are not of law. They are an amelioration and sweetening of the law. And uh, the encouragement is this, that Christ is, is, is going to be with them and is with them always, even to the end of this present age. And then after that, when he comes back, he's not going to stop being with them. He's going to be with them forever. And he needs to say this because otherwise we wouldn't have a preaching moment here. The apostolic office was completely fulfilled. It was an extraordinary office. Now we are in the ordinary ministry. So the apostles received the benefit of this encouragement because they are all martyred and they all suffered extremely, even John, to his last day in prison in Patmos. These men all needed this promise. And this is why the Lord offers them this promise. But the, the extraordinary promise soon expired with the passing of all apostles. But every prophet and every evangelist and every pastor teacher succeeding them would claim this. And every lay person, as we, I don't like the term lay, you are a, a priestly kingdom. You are a kingly priesthood. And you also, in hearing this, may follow those that lead and derive comfort from this encouragement. Now, in what case may they lay claim to this promise? Okay. They need to be faithful in their work. If they should quit the work or quit the manner of their work, and not work in the Spirit and according to His Word, they forfeit any promise of unique help. And the help is amazing. Do I need to remind you that Christ with us, <laughs> well, He's victor of all. I, I mean, this, this is how. It, look, look what happens in, in the book of Joshua. The Lord Jehovah says to Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. This is exactly what Jesus is saying to his apostles. As long as they are in the word, they're invincible. That's not to say they're not going to bleed to death. But though they die, they shall live. And no, no and nothing works together for their bad. All things work together for their good. If they should turn servants of men, serving the word of man, the mores of the societies to which they belong, the tastes, whether they be sensual in, in their art forms or sensual in their elaborate ceremonies, 
reconstructing Old Testament ceremonies into New Testament religion. If they turn to servants of the flesh, they, they must look to the flesh, they must look to men for comfort, not to Christ for their protection and assistance. And that's not the way the Lord is building his house. It's not by strength and not by might, but by his spirit. The Lord is not impressed with the legs of a man. And these legs and your legs can push a lot of weight. We'll talk about that later if you want. It's the strongest, the strongest muscle in your body. And the Lord says, okay, I made those legs, but it's, it's really, it's, this is not the way we do it. It's not by strength. If they receive their instructions from any other source than from their royal master, they have to bid farewell to their part as in the lot of, of God's servants. The prophets were God's servants in the Old Testament. You can see what the manner of their life. You can see the purity of their, of their word. You can see the outcome. You can see the outcome of the, apostol of the apostles. You can see the outcome of their disciples, Timothy and Titus. You can see the, the fruit of their efforts. But if you forsake the teaching or leave conveniently or by pragmatic reasons anything out, you've become the servants of men. You're on your own. You're not in the common lot of God's servants. A men that take upon themselves to teach what Christ has never commanded, that bring in material that Christ has never approved, the Holy Spirit is not in it, there's no blessing in it, there's no strength in it. Doctrine, superstition, the invention of men and the worship of God. This is a distraction and it is, it is highly disrespectful to the authority of Christ who is a master teacher and is sufficient for us unto salvation in every department of his mediatorship. And, and men who are in the flesh, this is why they need temporal power. This is why they split churches according to their whim. They, they set apart their leaders. They exert power. They will, not, uh, they will not reform the church according to proper channels, but they bow out. They don't want conversation with their elders. They don't want conversation with the presbytery. They will not take things to the General Assembly to perfect their doctrine. They, will, they would rather simply excuse themselves. And upon pretense of following the word of God, they will teach things that, not, not to the consensus of their leaders. They use temporal power. They use force. They shun. They slander. Seeing that they have no ground or power from the word of God, they, don't, they, they lose courage. They're not courageous. And cowards are the first ones that are eliminated from the kingdom of God in the book of Revelation. And these should not expect that Christ will be with them. They're on their own. Now it's Christ's presence with those that work in his name that succeeds. Christ's presence, Emmanuel, and uh, for that, we have so many, so many places we can scripture. Joseph, it was clear to the Egyptians that the Lord was with Joseph. And this is why he became a successful man. And this is why he was such a powerful witness to Egypt and to Pharaoh. And he was even, he was even befriended by Pharaoh near the end. Okay? His master saw, even in jail, that the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. The Lord had caused that he did this. It's the Lord's presence that succeeds. And if the Lord is present, then, 
who would, who would refuse to go with such cheerful company? Who would refuse to go on a mission with the glorious Lord of Lords? Who would refuse the friendship of the King of Kings and one wiser than Solomon and one who is the eternal Son of God? He is your companion as long as you work the gospel ministry according to his word and spirit. Now, if the work is hard, his presence is sweet, and Christ provides a sufficiency for all of his faithful servants. And this sufficiency and the sweetness works against all discouragements that they may meet in their work. Now, the difficulties here are very many to the ministry, and that's why Jesus offers an encouragement. Jesus knew him. He was a man. He's, he's a man. He, he suffered in the flesh as man. So he knows what it is to be contradicted by people who think they know something of the Scripture, who think they're acceptable to God and are ready to kill to prove their point. Oh, well, but they meet in secret, don't they? Oh, well, well, they... Ah, so the, that trial wasn't really according to justice, was it, when they crucified the Lord? If the, if the ministers of his apostles are to work, look to the work, it is very hard. They, they, they should know this. They saw what happened to the Lord himself, their beloved friend. And they will have to grapple with the powers of darkness, with principalities, with Satan. They, they, are, they with the Lord at their right hand, are overturning the devil's kingdom. They are reforming the church and the world. Let's just call it the world. Because when the church turns fleshly, you're really combating the world at that point, not the church. If there's a battle in the church, it's not against the church, per se. It's against the world and the church. Because the world will certainly always battle the Lord and his anointed. The devil's kingdom, they, they will battle the devil's kingdom, they will reform the world, the church sunk in idolatry and profanity, and they will rescue the prey out of the, the mouth of the roaring lion. It, 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 it's, it's like David, because he's the son of David, and that's what David, the son of David, does. And only he can do that. Only he can take the sheep out of the mouth of a roaring lion. And he does that with every conversion. If the Lord's servants look to themselves, they will see nothing of any goodness, of any help, any resource. They will find the world treating them with contempt as a company of fools. The world will cry out with them to do away with them. The world will have an end of all the notions of Christ's ruling. We're warned about this repeatedly in Psalm 2, all throughout the New Testament. But you will have to contend with the fact that are you here for the smiles and the friendships of the world? Will, will the frowns of devils slow you down and keep you from the company of your Lord? Why should this frighten you from the Lord's work and interest? You know that the days of this, of this world are numbered. A little time will carry off the faithful servants 
and the unfaithful servants into eternity. But happy the servant whom the Lord finds to be faithful when he returns. Faithful at work. Our Lord's work will never lie. Our Lord's work is not going to wait for any want of hands. You know, he will have a church. And to have a church, he will have a, a ministry. He will have ministers and leaders to the end of the world. And whether you take up this call or not, it doesn't matter. Another will, will, will be in the place. But these things are decreed and certain. If we lay it aside, another person will take it up. Christ is no loser for your disobedience. He's no winner for your, for your obedience either. He's the Lord and he's blessed forevermore. It's you who stand to, to, to lose or to gain. The Lord and his people will stand at the last day on earth. The Lord and his church will be the only ones and the holy angels standing. His enemies, and there will be multitudes, will drop off one after another. Though they look very powerful, though they look very convincing, though they look like giants today and have established names and named countries after themselves and cities after themselves and avenues after themselves and they're, they're touted with Nobel Prizes and all manner of accolades, they are not esteemed in the Beloved. They fought against the Lord and against His anointed. And on the last day, they will all drop one after another. Now, the promise of Jesus' presence, he says, I am. It's a present thing. He says, I am with you. Not I will be. Of course, as long as today is called day, the, the being of Christ is still with us. This is a prophetic certainty. You, know, you don't need any other uh, uh, commendation from anyone else. It's a pledge of his presence, the Holy Spirit and the word abiding. Have you never considered that the Word of God is so little understood and so little obeyed and so little cherished today. And yet the publication of Bibles worldwide continues on and on in 2,400 languages. By what authority and by what power is this possible in a world filled with devils who really plainly, if you examine their theology, are in crass disobedience to the Word of God? There's no reforming these people. And yet, the word of God abides. And yet, people are rarely instructed in its truth because the Holy Spirit abides. That is to say, Christ, Emmanuel, is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. It assures what sometimes Christ's own servant can't see. The promise of his presence is not always felt in the church. You know that. You, you know, some of you, the dark hour of the soul. Some of you are, 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 are to the point of, of almost throwing things up and saying, it's nothing but bitterness. There's no sweetness here. You know the dark hour of your soul. It doesn't matter. Because Jesus is with your, with your church. As long as you take your, his name upon you, it's not what you feel. This is a great trial you're going through. But that doesn't remove the pledge of his promise. And the servants of God need to know that because you know what? Fire 
is very hot. And when the martyrs burn, they don't, they're not going by feeling. They're going by faith. The pledge of his promise, Christ's servants cannot see it, they cannot feel it, but sometimes it's lacking assurance. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus at the cross, my God, my God, why have you deserted me? Did God desert him? Did God forget his covenant of peace with the Lord Jesus? No. But it sure looked that way. And to fill all, and to fill the scripture, that's what played out on the cross. By imputation, that's what was presented to the world. A sinner, Christ the Holy Lamb, imputed sin. And he felt it. It didn't, it didn't matter. He is God's beloved son. The promise of Jesus' presence is a present thing. It's a promise without interruption, despite our sin, despite our failing, as long as we hold on to him, as long as we claim him as our helper, as long as we detest sin, we detest his enemies, we, de we love his glorious truth, we love holiness, we wish we were holier, we, we hunger and thirst, we cry out to God and complain that for some reason, I, 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 I'm hungrier than, than usual. It feels bad to be hungry. It hurts to be undernourished. But spiritual pain is no precursor to apostasy. In fact, spiritual hunger is a precursor to glory. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, where they shall be filled. Jesus will not leave his servants at his work at any time as long as his servants are doing his will by faith, depending on every promise, he is certainly with them. His servants may sometimes lack the sense of his presence, but it doesn't mean that he's not with them. He's with them in, uh, without interruption. Every day in dark days, whatever their case may be, however hard their life and lot may be, and it gets hard. And if you don't think it, if you didn't count this cost, guess what? Most people don't. Most Christians don't. Consider it because we don't know the cost until the cost is upon us. But every day when we wake up, you say, Lord, Father, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, as he's instructed us. We yield. Their peace may be interrupted, but not their master's presence. While they keep at his work, Christ the anointed head of the church will be upon their own head. And the anointing is what brings the victory. Look at the Old Testament. Prophets, priests, kings, they are anointed, they go forth. The anointing is what makes the difference. And even in these words, Jesus draws attention. Behold, I am with you always. He directs his servants to consider his promised presence. He says, look, I've told you a lot. I've been, I've been, but I, want, I have one more thing to say to you. I've taught you a lot these last three and a half years. You've seen a lot. And now I want you to remember one thing. So behold this. I'm with you always even to the end of the age. That's what behold is there. The application is that we, we can cling, we must cling to the, our great work to which we are called of the Lord. Okay. Thomas Boston was marginalized. He was in a very contentious, uh, he lived in a very contentious time of great falling away from the gospel, a perversion in the, uh, in the uh, early to the mid uh, 18th century in Scotland. They were falling away to all manner of, of unfaithfulness. 
he writes this way, the case of the, this generation, the case of his current generation, cries for a stroke with regard to the horrid contempt of Christ and his gospel at this day. You know, he could have written this for, for the, the Houston Chronicle. It cries out against the contempt, the horrid contempt of Christ, his person, and his gospel. The preaching of the gospel, says Thomas Boston, in around, around 1735 or so, the preaching of the gospel has for several years been a weary work and very fruitless. And the truth is we have, as it were, been weary of God. Atheism and horrid profanity abound, and these cry for vengeance. Our enemies have a cup that they are filling up, he says. We have reason to lay our accounts with hardships in our work. In other words, it's not time to give up. That we may have the walls to build, to reconstruct around Jerusalem in its troubled times. Judgment begins in the house of God. If you, think, if you thought to be coming into the church as a sanctuary against all trouble, uh, let, me, let, me, let me clarify. This is not a sanctuary against all trouble. This is a place where trouble emerges and trouble is healed by the word and spirit and the, to, for those who abide. But when trouble comes and you abort mission, you're on your own. Judgment begins at the house of God and where it will stand... Well, that's, that's up to the Lord to direct. But let us, be, let us faithfully follow our master's interests and work together and not faint. This is encouragement. This is what the general says to his soldiers. Here are some encouragements to, to consider. We have all the resources we need for our work. There's no sister church. There's no, there's no other church that has more resources than this church. No other resources are needed. No other ministers are needed. We have the, the ministers that God has sent because he's sovereign. We have the elders that he sent and the, and the deacons that he sent because he's sovereign. And we have the word of God abiding with us and we have the spirit. And if you think you're, this is not enough, then my friends, you're leaning on the arm of flesh and the Lord will reveal that to you soon enough. Another encouragement, God's word in our mouth will accomplish that which Christ pleases to do. Isaiah 50. The, the, the word going out of his mouth will certainly succeed. Now, it may not be what we want. We may be kidding ourselves when we pray, the, the Lord, thy will be done. And when we see that will, we go, oh, no, not that will. I meant the, I meant the other will. Please, not that world. Please, not that will. Not, 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 not back pain and surgery. No. Or maybe yes, and find a comfort and find his help in it, because he's Lord of all. We will have protection in our work. Jeremiah, the sweetest man in the world. If I had three sons, I'd name them all Jeremiah. You know? First Jeremiah, second, you know, anyway. Stupid. Humble man, faithful, loving tried to help his people. Nobody's believing. Gets it thrown in, thrown in a pit. Or, you know. The Lord says, I'm going to make your, I'm going to give you a brass forehead. You, you, you who are weak, 
and, and you're, you're a lowly servant. You're nobody, Jeremiah, but I'm going to fit your head so you're going to crash through every single thing that tries to impede your progress. That's Emmanuel. That's the Lord is with us. The God of Jacob is our strength. Now, he's not going to do this with weapons. He's not going to do this with hatred. He's not going to do this with cunning. He's not going to do this with slander. He's going to do it with, with the implements of, of godliness and righteousness and peace and service and lowliness and hope and faith. We have all the protection we need in our work. God is a wall to his faithful. God is a fiery hedge. We will have provision, Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. We have all we need. We have a priest that intercedes for us always. Do you think that Jesus sleeps or slumbers? Do you think you can, out, you can, you can outwit Jesus in his wisdom? Or be a better church planner than Jesus? Do you think he can, you can guide the nations better than he does if you read your papers? We will have provision. But we must account ourselves as the church in the wilderness and not make the wilderness our home. That's the problem. We keep wanting, we keep wanting to camp at Elam. Hey, there's 70 palm trees and the water is good. Let's just stay here. No, I have a promised land for you. But, uh, but Moses, look, we've got shade, we've got water. No. We're the church in the wilderness. But we insist on being the church on a luxury yacht if we could afford it. We are not to fear. It's Elijah's. You know, Elijah, the mighty Elijah, capitulated to fear. He, he, <laughs> he, feared, he feared a painted Jezebel for crying out loud. Yeah. He stood up to 400 false prophets of Baal. And then this woman chased him off. But we are not to fear, for those who are with us are more and mightier, far mightier than those who are with our enemies. Besides, all we need is Christ. We don't even need his angels, and, and he, doesn't, he doesn't need his angels. He's happy to use his angels, but he doesn't need them. God with us is sufficient. And that's the benefit of his resurrection. He's in spirit. He can be anywhere and everywhere. And no bounds exist for him. And since he has all plenary power and wisdom, and, and he has this Holy Spirit to give us, how can he fail? And why should we be downhearted? And yet we are, we need to repent of our unbelief. I, you know, you start with me if you like. We should have no occasion for drawn faces. Christ will be against those that are against us. Deuteronomy 33, verse 11. That's the whole, that's the whole purpose of driving out the nations and and giving the people their inheritance. But first of all, you have to understand that the inheritance for the, of the Christian is not this life. God has not promised you America. God has not promised you Houston. We've got ministers, in a, you know, even in the PCA saying, oh, you know, we're claiming Houston for, we're claiming, we're claiming Toronto for Christ. Oh, okay, good. As if Christ didn't already have Toronto and Houston. What they mean is they want to Christianize everybody. You can't, you can't do that unless you want to preach a, a very low common denominator gospel. God can do all things. I'm not, I'm not saying he's not going to do that. But what I'm saying is Christ will be against those that are against us as long as we are faithful to his word and his work 
and do the work in the manner in which he has called us to do it. Further encouragements. Look, you, you, you stand to lose nothing by, by serving Christ. Lose what we will in the discharge of our ministry and our work. We will never lose our God. And who cares about anything else? The psalm says, you are my portion in heaven. Besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Can you, can you sing that song? Can you, can you sincerely say that to the Lord? You, you are the portion of my lot and my inheritance forever. Our Lord's will can never be wanting hands, as I said. If we lay it aside, somebody else will take it up. The Lord and his people will stand at the last day. Triumph is assured. The Lord's servant will outlive all who stand. They will stand as conquerors with Christ at his right hand. To conclude, Jesus greatly encourages his gospel ministers in sending them out in his worldwide missionary enterprise with this peculiar, the special promise applying to them Behold, I am with you always, even the end of the age. Now, my friends, by way of final application, if Christ has promised to be with us, then why? Oh, and he's not, he's not leaving us. Why, why do we want to divide churches? Why would, let's not divide ourselves if we have an interest in Christ. We should endeavor unity because Christ has, never, Christ has not departed this church in the least. Neither should you. Let us endeavor unity in the Lord with all one our might, cleave to the work of God as one man, because we do have enemies. We have false Christs who call themselves vicars of Christ, who rule with a blasphemous gospel, which is no gospel at all. We have men that have usurped office above their officers, in all manner of unbiblical, unconstitutional government. And yet we put up with them nicely. All manner of superstition and error, profanity has entered our, our, our midst with uncleanness and the loss of church discipline, lawlessness. How many commandments are we really interested in anymore in evangelical Christianity? And whatever else is contrary to sound godliness, that's the work that's laid on us by our Lord and by his sacred word. So he's promised to be with us in this work. Let's not quit the field and let's not further divide the church. The fact that we're an extreme minority is not the fact that is not because we have separated from the body of Christ. It's that the body is splintered and we need to get back to the common consensus of what the word says and what the spirit is doing. Christ has promised to be with us in this work. Let's not forget him who is with us. Have we met with Christ in the service? Have we, have we really believed that the Spirit is here edifying us and equipping us? It's not about learning anything or even remembering anything. It's whether God has been with us or not. Christ is not here to make us smart or more informed. Christ is here to glorify his Father in presenting him a people, a kingdom. He is Emmanuel. Let us then love Christ. Let us preach Christ. This is our great work at all times. He is sufficient as our prophet, priest, and king. 
to deliver us from all evil and to bring us in a state of everlasting grace in the Holy Spirit by his promise through faith. We rest in him. To the people, to you who are not ministers, not officers in the church, whether you be in the Lord's office or not, you've heard what uh, maybe apply to yourselves here in this sermon. If you're wise, you will say with those in Zechariah chapter 8, we will go with you. For we have heard that God is with you. <laughs> that's the promise. That's the promise to the remnant of the Jews, and that's the promise to the Gentile church. We, you apostles, the word you preach is most convincing and convicting. I sense that God is with you, a holy God who will judge the world the last. I sense that he's with you. And so I will, be, I will be with you. Take us along. I will follow you. I will go with you. We will all go with you. For we have heard and known and tasted that God is with you. Do you have a sense of that? Or are you confused? Are you consecrated to this word? That's why you took the baptism. Not only that, but you affirmed it in your church membership. Even if you're not a church member, you still have your vows of Baptist to contemporary to fight the world to fight Satan, to fight the flesh with all of your might as enemies of Christ, as detestable, abominable to Christ, execrable. Emmanuel is a name not restricted to Christ's birth. Most Christians that make too much to do about Christmas have nothing at all of an understanding that Christ is with us in the service. It's about his days in the flesh, his days as man is best suited. The term Emmanuel is best suited for the evangelization of the world. And yet few Christians who go mad at Christmas will evangelize. If you love Emmanuel, you not only sing the Christmas carols, but you will love his mission on earth. You will love his church. You will love his people. Do you? The profane world will be ready to laugh at this. This is crazy. Nobody's going to follow this. Well, yeah. That's what the, uh, that's what the Malachi the prophet said. Who, who, who will stand at his appearing? For he is like a consuming fire. The disciples, Lord, are there, are there few that will be saved? Enter the narrow gate. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to life. Few there are that find it, but we refuse to believe that, counting on all manner of easy believism manifested even in the finest churches in North America today. The profane world, are we ready to laugh, call them Puritans, whatever, I don't know what that is. Please give me a, a good definition of what a Puritan is. Both ministers and people must lay to their accounts to be fools in the eyes of the world if they will be wise in the sight of God. Because God has destroyed the wisdom of this age. And he will take the wise and show them to be what they are, fools. And unless you become a fool, you'll never become wise in the sight of God. You cannot serve two masters, God and mammon. You cannot be popular in the world and pleasing to God.
And so our final ex exhortation here in application, you are to serve God. You are to follow his holy ministers. As long as their teaching is most pure, as they keep the church on track and mission, as they show zeal for mission by their prayers and by their love of the, of the word, careful to teach the whole counsel of God, chips falling where they may, you follow that man. You follow him straight. Remember Lot's wife. We need more Calvinists. That need Calvinists? Calvinists? Besides Tulip, you need to remember Lot's wife. And if you can harmonize those two, you're going to be a good Calvinist. Otherwise, you're just playing games. Emmanuel is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. The best encouragement anyone can ever have. Let's pray. Lord, we, we, fail, we fail the comfort. We fail the power, the zeal of your word. We fail you because we can't see you. But you've not left. We are unfaithful. We're carnal. Our interests are divided. We pray that you would forgive us. We pray that we would honor those who love, who love you and honor you. We pray that your kingdom would come in glory, in truth, in meekness. We pray that you would do away with those who have another strategy. And we pray that you would hasten the day of glory of Jesus' return. May we be all found in peace and in righteousness and in the joy of the Holy Spirit upon your return. Grant this grace to us in its fullness. We beg you. It's not of us to, to, to manufacture this. It's out of our hands. But it's in the hands of the Redeemer upon whom we fully believe and rest. We lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. For it is you who must do all things for us and all things in us, in Christ Jesus. To him be the glory in the church, both now and forevermore. Amen. Let's uh, serve our King with the tithes and offerings.